Okay. Paul, an apostle, not of man, neither by man, by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So who raised Jesus from the dead? Who is it? God the Father. Okay, that's great. That's good. It also says in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. A, a young man, being a smart aleck, uh, asked me, uh, can you prove the resurrection happened outside of the Bible? I said, no, because I wasn't there. So I have to rely on the witnesses who were there. And he said, ha, ha, I have you. I said, really? I said, did Washington cross the Delaware? He said, yes. I said, were you there? No, but, 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 I said, but what? We got all these wonderful pictures of Washington sitting in a boat, standing like this. No proof, except for what people wrote, right? He said, yeah. I said, eyewitness testimony recorded is testimony. It's fact. Paul said by, he, was, he was witnessed by more than 500 brethren. Look at Romans 6, 4. It says this, therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we walk in newness of life. So again, we have, we have two witnesses there that the Father raised Christ from the dead. No doubt about it. Well, the smart aleck young man said to me, he said, uh, um, you have to be more certain than that. I said, you don't believe in eyewitness testimony? He says, no. I said, can you without testimony prove where you were yesterday? Uh, no. So you weren't anywhere yesterday. Can you prove it? If your life depended on the fact that you could uh, prove where you were yesterday, could you provide proof? Well, there were people who saw me. Right. Without them. Can you provide proof? And he said, no, I need the people who I met, my girlfriend, my professors. I said, right, you need eyewitness personal testimony. And they have to give a statement of what they saw to prove for you to save your life that you actually were you were you yesterday, where you were yesterday. He said, yes. I said, that's what the Bible does. And I said, I bet I have more witnesses from the Bible of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than you have where you were just yesterday. So don't say we don't have proof. Our evidence will work in a court of law. The scripture says that the father raised Christ from the dead. Well, actually, did he? Turn to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse number 11. Romans 8, 11. Look what it says. It says this. But the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelleth in you. He that raised Christ up from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Wait a minute. I thought the father raised Jesus from the dead. Well, it says here that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Ha! We have a contradiction in the Bible. Well, let's throw more mud in the water. Turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 2, verse 19. John chapter 2, verse 19. And look what it says. This is Jesus and his encounter uh, with um, some of the disciples. He says in verse number 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. 
you destroy this temple and I will raise it up. Now notice what it says. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building and thou would tear it up, uh, rear it up in three days. But he spake of the temple of his body. So did God the Father raise Jesus from the dead? Did God the Holy Spirit raise Jesus from the dead? Did Jesus raise himself from the dead? Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 18. Look what it says. It says, no man taketh it from me, but I lay down my life. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So, question. Did the Father raise Jesus from the dead? Did the Holy Spirit raise Jesus from the dead? Did he raise himself from the dead? And the answer is yes. Because you just read in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. You see the Trinity working even in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. We've, we find ourselves uh, at, in a quandary. The only reason Christians are persecuted, the only reason Christians are persecuted is because we dare preach that Jesus rose from the dead. Follow me, please. Turn to Acts, the book of Acts, and look at chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Now, this is when Paul starts to be under trial. Um, and, um, and his situation is, is one where he has to justify himself. And look what it says in verse number uh, 14. And here he's before Felix. It says here, but this I confess unto thee, that after the way where they call heresy, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also know, that there should be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Okay, look at the next one. Look what it says in verse number uh, 21. And he saw, continued his conversation. Except for this be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question today. Chapter 25, verse 19. But certain questions against some of their own superstition and of one Jesus which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Look what it says in chapter 26, verse 8. It says this. Why should it be thought a, a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Look at chapter 26, verse 23. It says this, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the Gentiles. Notice what's happening here over and over again. Whether it was Festus, Felix, Agrippa, it does not matter. Paul is brought before all of these people, not for preaching Jesus Christ, but preaching that Jesus Christ got up from the dead. If you were to concede, okay, Jesus didn't get up from the dead, you wouldn't have a problem. You wouldn't be martyred. You wouldn't be persecuted. Because every other religious or iconic figure in history never claimed to be God and get her from the dead. If you talk about that in public, people will persecute you. You know, when people just don't believe a lie, they just don't believe a lie. You don't see anybody persecuting someone who believes in Santa Claus, do you? How many people have had their lives taken away because they said there's a Santa Claus? How many people who, who worship on Easter, the Easter bunny with all the marshmallows and the chocolate? And actually believe that there's an Easter bunny. It'd be no kids left in the world. 
What, what do you do with the tooth fairy? You know why? Because everybody knows all of those figures, all of those imaginary figures are a lie. But the absolute certainty that we preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ because we provide the world with a constancy of proof. What is it? The grave is empty. All the Roman government, all the Jews had to do was come up with one freshly dead male body. But they couldn't do it. Why not, Dwight? Because when he got up out of the grave, the graves were opened. And the saints arose. What about the people who weren't saints? The Bible says the graves were open. It did not say just the saints were open. It says only the saints got up. The graves were open. And remember, this was a high holy day. This is a special Sabbath. It is a Sabbath of the Sabbath, and it is the Jubilee Passover. So they couldn't go near the graves. The graves were wide open. And why was that important to them? Because when the graves were open, the wild dogs would come and eat the freshly dead bodies. They could not produce one human body freshly dead, alive after Jesus, uh, that, that was fresh after Jesus resurrected from the dead. So they could not refute it. And that's why those men, 40 days later, that Peter is talking to, 3,000, at least 3,000 men were there on the day of Pentecost. And he said, here's the proof. All he did was preach the reality of the moment and juxtaposed it against the prophecy and promises. Yes, those men heard about Jesus. They heard about the fact that he was crucified. They heard that he was buried under the seal of Caesar. They heard that he was supposed to have resurrected from the dead. But what Peter did was bring in the absolute certainty of Scripture that this would happen on this way, on this day. And what did they do? Men and brethren. What shall we do? See, that's the point. We don't preach to humans' minds. We preach to their soul's conscience that bears witness with the word of God. Your head can be filled with all kinds of junk. Your head can be filled up with all rhetoric. But you know what? God gave you a conscience, a governing principle, that when it hears the truth, it begins to wrestle with itself. Soren Kierkegaard, you've heard me say this several times, Soren Kierkegaard, the great existentialist, said, I can dismiss the Father because he's never existed. I can dismiss the Son as a figure in history, but the Holy Spirit messes with me when I sleep at night. The conscience of man bears witness with him. That's why the Bible is so absolute certain, absolute certain when it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because a, a fool is, is, is defined in Scripture as someone who knows the truth but decides to purposely reject it. That's how God governs a fool. You know the truth. You know it. You know it. So that's the person of the resurrection. Now let's look quickly at the power of the resurrection. What is the power of the resurrection? How does it benefit me? Go back to Acts and look at verse number 37, Acts 2, and look at verse 37. And look what it says, what Peter's preached. He says this. I'm sorry, verse, verse number uh, 32. Um, this Jesus have God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. First thing that the power of the resurrection does. It allows me, because of his resurrection, remember? Because he lived, we also shall live. It allows me to be like him proof of it. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Philippians 3, 9 through 11. It allows me to be like him. 
You should underline this verse in your Bibles, Philippians 3, 9 through 11. It says this. Verse number eight for context. Yea, doubtless, I call all things for loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of which is of God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might obtain the resurrection of the dead. Here is Paul's greatest goal. I want to be like him. I want to know him. I want to be like him. I want to be raised like he was. It allows me to be like him. It allows him, me to be like him. All right, now look somewhere else. Look at uh, uh, Philippians chapter 3, same chapter, verse 21. He says, he allows me, me to be like him? Sure, look what it says. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even to do all things unto himself. He promised me that I'm going to have a body like his body. He promised, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. The word I saw, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come in again and receive you into myself. That where I am, you will be also. I'll be with him because I'll be like him. The Bible tells us absolutely in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, that flesh and blood cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a fact. Well, turn to Luke chapter 24. I think we have a supposed contradiction. Luke chapter 24. This is at the Emmaus encounter. You remember Jesus walking with the two disciples? And um, um, uh, he kept their eyes open, and then he ministered them communion, and they saw him. And look what happens. It says this, verse number 36, Luke 24, 36. And as they spoke, Jesus spoke, stood in the midst of them, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. They should have gotten used to this by now. Okay, anyway. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones. Wait a minute, Dwight. You mean Jesus has flesh and bones? That's right. But First Corinthians, what did First Corinthians 50 say? That's a contradiction. Ah. First Corinthians 50, 15, 50 says, flesh and blood cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. It says here that Jesus has flesh and bones. Why didn't it say flesh and blood? Because his blood had been poured out. Poured out on the mercy seat of heaven. Just read Hebrews chapter 9. It tells the whole story. His blood was spilled out so that the judgment seat could be turned to the mercy seat. And the mercy seat can now become a throne of grace. That's why. That's why. See, when you go to heaven, you're going to have a new body like unto his glorious body. And it'll be flesh and bone, not flesh and blood. Because your flesh and your blood, the old flesh, is Adamic. The old blood was Adamic. That's why you have to have a brand new body like unto his glorious body, glorified completely. And the angels who watch sinful flesh move along the, the terrains of earth for so long and see those same men, same women, same boys and girls in glory but with a new body. And they'll envy us because they'll say, he has a body like his body. She has a body like his body. And as we pass by the streets of glory, Beulah Boulevard, 
Hallelujah Square, Amen Corner, the angels would say, wow, I wish I had a body like that. Right now, we might envy angels. They get to see him face to face. But one day, we'll be just like him. Just like him. So it allows me to be like him. Not only does it allow me to be like him, it allows me to be holy. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 24. Romans chapter 4, verse 24. It says in verse 24, but for us also to whom it might be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. It allows me to be holy. I'm holy because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look what it says in the very next verse. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? And the next phrase says, therefore, we have access by grace into this faith. Not only are we justified, not only are we have imputed righteousness, not only are we both positionally and practically holy, the Bible says we have peace with God and we have access to him because of the resurrection from the dead. Before, I had to fall on my face, beg for God's mercy. But because of Jesus' resurrection, I, the Bible says, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. This is made possible by the resurrection. So it allows me to be holy. And not only does it allow me to be holy, notice what it says. It also gives me 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It allows me to have a living hope. And we'll talk about that living hope in a minute. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's, it's, you get the point, what the resurrection brings? No one ever promised this. I can live holy because of the resurrection. And you know how I know I can live holy? Because I do live holy by virtue of the resurrection. Before I couldn't live holy, but now I can live holy. I can live absolutely holy. It's not probable, but it's possible. I'm going to sin. You know why? Because I remember what sin felt like. But before I sinned, with everything I do, I had no choice. The Bible says that the plowing of the wicked is sin. A man goes out that's not a Christian and cuts his grass. God says he sinned. Why? Because Romans chapter 14, verse 23 says, anything that's not done in faith is sin. But then he qualified for the righteous. He qualified for the Christian. He says this, there's only one way the just can live. How is it? By faith. By faith. Before, I had no choice. Now, I do. If I sin, I sin because I want to, not because I have to. I sin not because I, I, I live holy, not under condemnation, but the, the crowning aspect of Jesus Christ paid it all. I have, don't have to worry about my past. I don't have to worry about my present. I don't have to worry about my future. I am in him. I'm in him. That's the sweetest place to be, in him. So it allows me to live like him. It allows me to live holy. It allows me to have a living hope. Lastly, the plan of the resurrection. Go back to Acts chapter 2. 
Go back to Acts chapter 2. And look at verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this that you now see and hear. First of all, first of all, God all along, God all along set in motion the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God was, through the plan of eternity, was rushing mankind to one point, the resurrection. You know, um, uh, Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time had come. You know that there's three times when the fullness of time had come. The first one, anybody know when it was? When the world had become so saturated with evil, God had to act, otherwise mankind would be lost forever. When was the first time? Genesis chapter 6. My spirit would not always strive with man. The fullness of time had come. Evil and iniquity had so saturated the atmosphere of mankind, the environs of humanity, that God had to do something then. And that's why we thank God for Genesis 6, 8. It says, but Noah found grace. The first time the word is used in the entire Bible, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The last man and his family that were righteous before God because the saturation of evil, the pornography of that day, that perversive, perverted generation that where men were marrying men and women were marrying women. Isn't that crazy? And historians tell us, Bible historians saying they not only were marrying, men were marrying men and women marrying women, they were marrying children. Some were even marrying animals and the fullness of time God says I better do something while mankind is doing it and then the second time was a little place in Palestine called Judea and that little place in Judea was a city called Jerusalem in Jerusalem, there was a prophet sent of God. And the fullness of time was needed because the Bible tells us that man's wickedness was so great under the context and under the umbrella of religion. They didn't recognize their Messiah. They were so blinded, they could not recognize their Messiah. The fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, made in a woman, made under law to redeem them that were under the law. That is the absolute certainty that God had this as a plan. God was not fooled. God was not surprised. This is the plan of heaven. And uh, I'll try to show it. I'll try to prove it to you. Not only was the plan of the resurrection to find sinners, but to fulfill scripture. To fulfill scripture. Now, look at what it says in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and this is the, is the Emmaus Road uh, discussion. It's at the end of the Emmaus Road discussion when they said, but we had trusted that it had been he that should have um, 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 fulfilled Israel. And certain of them also which were with us uh, went to the sepulcher and found even so, as the women had said, but him they found not. Then Jesus said to them, O fools and slow of hearts, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded unto them in all the scriptures the same things concerning 
himself. He did not tell them witty stories. He didn't tell them pithy ideas. He didn't give them different philosophy. He used their very own familiar 39 and used the prophets. The prophets spoke to him in psalm and in promise, in prophecy and in preaching that one Messiah, one son of God was going to come forth and that he was going to die for the sins of the world and that he would raise again. And he spoke of himself. It must be wonderful to have the whole Bible be your autobiography. Autobiography, Dwight? I thought the prophets, no, they were just the scribes. Jesus was talking about himself on every page. My dear friend Kenny Grant says that the Bible is a seamless garment with a crimson thread that runs straight to the cross. He spoke concerning himself. He fulfilled scripture. Absolutely. Why did he do that? Look at Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Look at verse 8. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. It says this. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the, in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. See, God knew that it was going to be times, periods, epochs in history where sin was going to saturate, that if he did, if he did not intervene, all mankind would be lost. And here's the last fullness of time. There's going to come a time, and you can read Matthew chapter 24, it talks about it, when sin will get so rife Mother against daughter, father against son, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. That Jesus is going to come back and take his church out and say to the world, you wanted the world? You can have it. You can have it. And let's see how you rule it. And for seven years of absolute, absolute and complete reckless abandonment, wanton sin and destruction. Man will lovingly drive himself to death. You say lovingly? Yeah. You know why? Because they love not the truth. They love not the truth. It doesn't say they love the truth. They love not the truth. They love everything that isn't the truth. We used to say it years ago, wrong becomes right and right becomes wrong. They love not the truth, and God's going to let them believe a lie. The scriptures say it, and it's being fulfilled. Isn't it amazing how all the things that the Bible says would happen are happening, and people still don't believe it? They don't, it it's like reading next month's newspaper. That's all the Bible is. And if you don't believe all what I'm telling you, just watch Israel. Watch what's happening with Israel. When I was growing up, I would hear preacher come in left and right, evangelists come in from different churches. People would come, and they would always say, always keep your eyes on Israel. It fulfills Scripture. It foretells and fulfills Scriptures. Watch Israel. Just watch it. If you don't believe the Bible for any other reason, you've got to believe it for that. So, the plan of the resurrection was to find sinners to fulfill Scripture and get this. And most importantly, to satisfy the Father. The Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. 
it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And it's one of the most remarkable, one of the most remarkable uh, passages in the Bible. Isaiah 52, verse 13 to Isaiah 53, verse 12. Look what it says in verse number 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him when he had put him to grief. Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous service justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I would divide him a portion with the great and divide the spoil with the strong because he had poured out his soul unto death. He was remembered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It sounds like, uh, 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 it looks like a, a, a teeter-totter. At one point, God is, is, is destroying this servant of his, and the next moment, he's, he's magnifying him, and he's rewarding him. He's, he's, he's bruising him, but then he's exalting him. He's saying, basically, in one breath, I have to kill him so I can exalt him. Isn't that what Philippians chapter 2 magnifies? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought of God, robbery to be equal to God, made him himself of no reputation, took upon the form of the servants, made in the likes of the man, and being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has what? Highly exalted him. He's saying clearly, yes, he has to suffer. He has to die. But that's all right. He's going to live again. God has given him a name, present active indicative, present active indicative. God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue. Should, you don't do that with somebody who's dead. We don't have a memorial, a memorial, something to commemorate something that's gone and past so we don't forget him. We have an exalted Lord who we worship. Yes, people can go to Confucius' grave and throw flowers and lotuses at him. They can go to, to Muhammad's grave. You can do the same thing with Buddha. But you go to Jesus, you're wasting your time. The best you're going to get out of the tomb is an echo. Because he got up from the grave. The resurrection is true. I was out at USC, or USCL, I don't remember which, but it was out in California. And um, I, was, I was talking about the resurrection, the same outline. And I had it on a big bulletin board. And in walk a bunch of yellow, uh, a bunch of Buddhists in orange outfits, you know, that they wear. Everybody's head was bowed, and they were walking on uh, barefooted, and they came, and they sat in the back. And when I got through everything, and I said, and he is alive. I could hear from 80 rows back, all 14, 15 of those guys go, <gasps> alive. And then they came from the back and sat up close to the front. And they started taking notes. And the, and the session was over. We didn't have 40 minutes to talk. And I, I went up to the blackboard, and I went to erase it. And they said, no, 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 don't erase it. And they were taking notes. Because no matter how pithy the saying of Buddha was, now, not, no matter how great the Vedas are, no matter how, I don't think so, wise the Koran may seem to be, it does not include he's alive. He is alive. He's alive. Simple as that. He's alive. And the world is going to have to deal with it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a good idea. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an absolute fact. An absolute fact. I'm done. Any questions? No one? Oh, goody. Who wants this outline? Okay, you got it. Let's pray. We thank you, dear Lord, for the resurrection.
the resurrection not only of Christ and the Old Testament saints, but the resurrection of our body when we have a body like unto his glorious body. Father, we thank you for the truth that we can validate this in Scripture. And the Scripture has never been proven wrong. Archaeologists even say when we go to disprove the Bible, we find out it is right every time. We can trust in this because it is the truth. Bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.